Welcome to Drink 4 dot dot dot, the podcast that combines a lifelong film infatuation with an overarching love of drink, an interactive journey that encourages the incorrigible while providing an intoxicating alternative to a night out. Thick Netflix and chill without the chill, perhaps without the Netflix, and this one time only without the sex. Who knows, maybe we'll learn something along the way or at the very least have a bit of immature fun. Hello everyone, welcome back to Drink 4 dot dot dot, as I just said you idiots weren't you listening as always i'm your host jordan brooks and this week we have a very special film for a very sad reason terry jones and terry gilliams 1975 masterpiece my favorite film of all time monty python and the holy grail i will always credit this film with saving a young me's life. I was extremely depressed throughout most of my middle school and high school career. I still obviously struggle with it. It's not something that you really grow out of. But at that point in my life, it was particularly bad. And when I saw this, I felt like something in the world was at least for me at that time, right. And so to hear about the passing of the second python to leave us really affected me this week. Uh, I wish all the best to Terry Jones' family and all the rest of the pythons and uh, all of all of the rest of his, his friends. Uh, he seemed uh, like quite a lovely man, and uh, I'm very sorry for your loss. I guess moving away from the bleakness of that intro... Let's get into the format of the show for new listeners. I promise you, if you are new, not every one of these has to do with uh, death and suicide. It's been a weird week. I think we can all agree. First up, me, or guests and I, will introduce ourselves in the film. I've just done that. Congratulations, you've made it through part one. Then, what's going to happen is I'm going to give you some drinking rules for that film the standard of which the bog standard rules that I will drink for every single time are drink for drinking, drink for fighting, drink for blood, and drink for death. And then we break. I go out into the world, into this bright, white-hot searing world, and I get shit-faced watching the film and doing the drinking game for it. And then I turn this mic back on again against all of the better judgment in my soul and I talk drunkenly either at people or at my wall to assess what's just occurred now it gets pretty interesting in that second half as you can imagine this first half really only serves as a baseline to find out what I'm like as a sober person and the answer is uh, not a whole lot different I don't ramble as much but I certainly certainly don't talk any faster when I'm drunk. So there's something you don't have to look forward to. Now on to this week's drinking rules. Oh wait. Oh wait. You thought you'd escape the sadness, didn't you? No, you didn't. You didn't escape it at all. Because here's this week's sad man scenario. With Lapetia also, yeah, I didn't tell you new listeners about this part either. This is a, this is a treat. This is just for me, uh, but you, you should listen to it too. It's this week's sad man scenario. 
with Labasia. Hi, uh, this is um, Labasia with another Sandman scenario from Labasia. Well, you know, I, I read. Uh, it's not like I have uh, much else to do, so, you know. So all the way to time, I, um, I pick up a book. Um, I'm reading this uh, book, it's called Ducks Need Report. Uh, it's, it's great. Um, it's just this lady who, she, is, she isn't alone, I'm alone, but it's because it's just her thoughts, so I think she's like me. And um, a hundred pages in, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming quite attracted to her. I really do wish she was real. So, so I'll keep reading. Um, luckily, the the book's a thousand pages. Okay. Um, let's uh, look at last week's comments. Um, I asked, uh, is it okay to spend uh, four or five hours um, browsing? Uh, Porn stars Instagram pages. Um, oh, there's a no comment. Uh, please uh, comment and subscribe. Thank you. Yikes! I thought me talking about uh, suicide to open this podcast about uh, one of the most well-known comedy films of all time would be the saddest this could get. Apparently I was wrong. And uh, to add to the sadness, no, I, I have no advice regarding uh, porn stars' Instagram accounts. Huh. A titillating proposition, though. Certainly titillating. But of course we can't stay down in the dumps for long. We're going to watch Holy Grail, and we're going to get really, really shit-faced doing it, because uh, this is my favorite, and I'm great at making rules for things that I adore. So the film's specific drinking rules for Monty Python and the Holy Grail are as follows. Drink four coconuts. We're going to call back to last week where we watched Club Dread, and uh, Coconut Pete's songs. We drank for those. We're going to drink for coconuts again this week. Sometimes uh, the world smiles right in your fucking face. Two, we're going to drink every time we see Terry Jones. Might even give him a little toast. Three, we're going to drink for arguments, which, while last week I said we're not different from fights, this week I'm going to say that they are different from fights because it is most of the dialogue that King Arthur has during this, and I think it'll be interesting for you to listen to how often he's just trying to be a contrarian prick. We're going to drink for the word sir. All of these uh, people are Knights of the Round Table, and therefore are called Sir, and then their first name, their last name, I don't know. It's one of the two. I'm sure of it. We're going to drink for and I don't know the word for this. Uh, cat screams, cat screeching, cat yelps. Um, there's there's quite a few of those. I know in the intro scene, the bring out your dead scene, a woman is seen dusting her cat against a wall like one would a welcome mat. That noise. That happens quite a few times in this film. 
So keep a sharp ear out for that. And while you have those ears wide open, we're going to drink for trumpets, either uh, shown visually, which the only time they're shown visually they're played, or just playing on the soundtrack, uh, diegetically or non-diegetically. If you don't know what those words mean, you can look them up. Uh, good luck trying to spell them. It, it just means whether or not the characters can also hear them. Like if, if Patsy were to say, play a trumpet, that would be diegetic. If we go to a Terry Gilliam cartoon and trumpets are playing, it'd be non-diegetic because King Arthur can't hear it. it just It's not in their world. It's fine. Let me handle the boring didactic bullshit. All you have to do is handle what is going to be likely a, a something with a low ABV. Uh, these, this is going to be a lot of sipping. So take it easy or don't. Really up to you other than uh, pretty sure legally I have to say drink responsibly. Although I'm not really selling you the alcohol so I, I don't think it works like that. Uh, and responsibility is really fucking subjective. So uh, go forth. Multiply. And maybe delete some brain cells or, or whatever. This week's episode of Drink for Dot 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 is brought to you by some obscure tool that makes Instagram work the way that the people who program Instagram should have made it work in the fucking first place. Are you extremely frustrated that you can't put a line break between paragraphs natively on the phone? How about the fact that you can't post pictures from your desktop? Isn't that fucking weird, Instagram? Turns out not all cameras are your fucking cell phones. Go to www.obscurefuckingwebtool.com to make Instagram start working for you and not for fucking Facebook. God damn it, Instagram. Fix your shit. Enter promo code DRINK4 at checkout to get 15% off your first conversion. Guys, let me start off by saying that my new infatuation with gin and water will pretty much guarantee the fact that I will need to get up during this recording to pee several times. I'm sorry. Pee is a it's a really rude word. It's a really naughty word, and I, I know I really shouldn't be saying it, especially in such an intimate setting such as the inside of your ear, but I've said it now, and I can't take it back. Speaking of other things I can't take back is the choice of films. That was a terrible segue, and I'm sorry for it. However, the Terry's Jones and Gilliam is possessive. The Terry's Jones and Gilliam's possessive holy grail is my favorite film, and it will remain my favorite film forever. I was almost skeptical this evening watching this, but uh, as soon as the credits were over, I think that's the only part of this that gets slightly old for me. As soon as that was over, the magic begins. It begins on the scene that I think so many of us know with the clapping of coconuts, hence the rule. I'm not stupid. Despite all of my life choices, I refuse to believe I'm actually stupid. And then it goes immediately into the talk about swallows, and the film begins. And this immediately brought me back to what captivated me 
so much about this film and why I will always believe that this film saved my life as a 14 year old boy. This spoke to me because of its absurdity. This let me know that no matter how stupid or insignificant or goofy or playful I was as a young person trying to figure out why everything in the world didn't seem right, didn't seem fun, seemed horrible, dull, boring, scary, that a group of men who when I was a kid looked like they were 50 and now look my age could be this irreverent and goofy and stupid and make these completely immature off-the-wall jokes over and over and over again and write these tightly dialogued little scenes of what I still consider to be pure comedy. This is why I love Monty Python and the Holy Grail and going further, this is why I love film because it connects with me, because it touches me on a level that I could never describe. As much as I drink, I will never be able to describe to you why film touches me or how deeply it does so. But to me, it's magic. It's always going to be absolute fucking magic. I think it's such a shame that we try to put so many clinical, sterile words to it and create these very verbose written criticisms and use words that confuse people and all in the aim of describing something that is so naturally empathetic and wonderful, something that comes so easily to anyone of any age. It doesn't have a difficult vocabulary it's not something that is defined by language or by meaning or by learning. It's something that can only teach and show. It's not culturally specific. It can't be pinned down. I don't know why I started this by saying, I'm not sure why we try to describe it in words and then go on at length to try to describe it in words. I realize how fruitless this endeavor is every time I go back and I edit Drunk Jordan Brooks talking about why film is great. I wonder why the hell he's using such big words. Why Drunk Me thinks that talking at length and using big words to try to sound smart about something that's so perfectly intuitive can possibly describe one another. Not really sure. I'm not really sure how I started that sentence, but that's okay. Because there is such an incredible accessibility to film. Film can speak to anyone, just as, as m most of the arts can. It's certainly not limited to film. Uh, paintings certainly wrapped me when I was a kid. I remember getting a Salvador Dali book, a photography book. Granted, that was mostly uh, for the naked women held within those pages. Um, we'll have to tackle the patriarchy and the male case on another episode. This is not going to be it. Uh, Monty Python episode. But 
the, the accessibility of art, I think is what drew me to it. There's a lot to know about it. There's a lot to learn about it, but that's true with anything. That's true with woodworking. That's true with, uh, paint, literal painting, not even, not even artistic painting, just learning how to put a proper coat of paint on a wall or a building or a brick. That is true for how to collect garbage or to invest in the stock market. There is such a depth of knowledge in every single thing the more you dig into it. And yet, not many of those things are immediately accessible, like film is film contains within it an emotional thing that to me lives and breathes and speaks to me and brings me back in this case to a time when i was a child who was confused and angry and just so incredibly sad and alone this let me know that i could not possibly be alone because there was a group of people in the 70s who were 15 years older than me 40 years ago who made me laugh harder than I had ever laughed before and made me feel things I did not know were possible. That is an incredible thing to me and that's something I'll never forget about the Monty Python troupe and that's something I'll never forget about this movie. And that's why as much as it becomes a beacon for masculinity and maleness and incels and all of these other buzzwords to describe what's so wrong with society, I will not abandon this film because it it never abandoned me. It is something that as much as I sit here and I talk to myself in a room looking for the perfect opportunity to take another drink of this. Gin, water, and lime. I'll never be able to capture this in words, ever, as as much as I try. And trust me, I will try, because I was, again, socialized to know that everything I think and feel and experience is somehow unique and important. And needs to be shared with the world. Now, whether or not that's true, we're going to have to find out with the, the ever-increasing listenership of the show. But, but that's okay. Because as long as I can get somebody out there to think differently about how they experience art or to more deeply appreciate why they love the thing they do, then I've succeeded at something, I suppose other than uh, learning how to use audacity, I guess, uh, to talk more freeform, to learn how slowly I talk about everything, even though in my head this is coming out all quite quickly and without a pause. I know tomorrow when I come back and I edit this, it will be one fucking drawn out of nonsense and that's why it's uh that's why it's so frustrating to to want to talk about something as meaningful to me as film because i don't do it justice and i know i never will and that's okay because i don't i don't think film needs any more proponents 
I'm pretty sure we all watch film. I'm pretty sure we all know about the idea of film. We might not know the concepts within it. We might not know how they're made or why they're made or how they're shot or any of the sort of behind the scenes stuff. But I'm pretty sure the world at large is aware that movies exist. And so they don't really need me here drunk talking about them to get the word out, to let people know. The Pythons have all but retired and uh, do not need me to talk about their most famous thing. Neither do so many of the other people whose work I'm talking about. And yet this and so many other film podcasts exist. And I think that speaks more I hope it speaks more towards why film is so impactful and important than it does about why so many people think that everything they think is somehow unique, different, or special. Uh, I suppose we'll live and learn and find out if that's the case. If not, uh, again, at least I learned how to record uh, and edit on this on this podcast software but uh i also got to drink for some fucking rad films and i got to meet some fucking rad people so that i think uh has been a great way to just sort of connect and and grow with myself and so there's another way in which monty python and the holy grail has improved jordan brooks's life thank you terry jones i love you so much I will never be able to thank you for everything you've done for me. And you have no idea I ever existed. None of the Pythons know I I exist. And nor should they have to. Because that's how fandom works. It is a connection that is untenable. Untenable is probably the wrong word. That's a long word um, that I'm using to sound smart. Fandom is a one-sided connection to somebody else that we make up in our own heads. I had conversations with all the Pythons and all these made-up scenarios of what would happen if I ever met them and how I would somehow mix the humility of me with the humor that I had learned from them and rift off of all of the other stand-up comedians that I had been watching on Comedy Central. I, I ran through this in my head a million times in the shower, getting ready for work, school before work, and all of these times when I'd be in a room and I'd say out loud, finally part of the phrase, oh, you don't say. Oh, that is really funny. Yeah, I really did enjoy your thing about the duck. And it's all nonsensical bullshit. My idea of fandom and my idea of trying to connect with these people who are so important to me and I am utterly meaningless to them. It must be pride-inducing to know that other people connect with what you're saying, what you're doing, especially if if, if both of those things are incredibly weird. I can only imagine what that's like, but it must be stunning. And other than that, there is no connection to your fans. You do not understand them, their troubles, 
why they like it. They could like it for any reason at all. They can come at it from any direction and you have no idea. You have no connection to them. And all you want to do is know that you matter and continue to matter to other people. And it took me until probably, I don't know, I, I'm, I haven't been very closely watching the timestamp on this recording. So I would say it took me until about eight minutes ago to realize the depth of my fandom for Python is just as weird as all of those internet fanboys yelling at people on the internet about how they're doing things wrong or why they're not a good enough fan or why such and such actor did a disservice to either a character or by playing a character disrupted a character they love's whole arc and thing fandom does crazy stuff to you uh, and I do not know why that is maybe I should have majored in philosophy before starting a podcast where I'd get really really drunk and try to say smart shit oh my god what a fucking shambles out of it's okay it doesn't uh, this doesn't have to be smart because again people are going to watch film no matter what I say here. And I think that's the most incredible thing, is no one could ever take down film. We could take down the Oscars, because yes, they're really shitty. <laughs> Plain and simple. Award shows are shitty. No one's going to, to, to ever somehow cancel filmmaking. Filmmaking is such an important part of human life at this point. I doubt it'll go away. People are still writing musicals and operas and ballets. And that is very archaic. And yet that's still going on today. People are still writing classical music. That's been going on for hundreds of years. And that was only really accessible to the upper classes. It still is pretty only accessible to those upper classes. And so something as universal and as accessible as film absolutely has an enduring capacity that will last far beyond these simplified and asinine words that exist within this podcast. Um, one thing I will say to, I guess, bring this back to the importance of filmmaking and to the importance of learning more about that thing that you love is I don't think I realized how important Holy Grail was to me in terms of learning how movies were made and the structure of movies. Every time I watch it, I and I tend to do so alone, because I, I do recognize how annoying I can be during it. I say the lines out loud. I sing all the songs. I, no matter if somebody is sitting next to me or I am alone, I'll say, oh, I love this part. Oh, this next part, check out this next part. To no one. I will tell no one to check out this next part or that this next part is my favorite. And I'll say that a whole bunch of times to nobody. And this time, 
I was watching it with my parents, my dad who does love this film as I said, and my mother as it turns out, who has never seen it in its entirety. Now, going back through it, I noticed how so much of it is sketch-based. It is scene-by-scene laying out, okay, we're going to open on King Arthur and Patsy talking to these two guards at the top of a wall about swallows. And this is going to go on. And then we're going to leave and we're going to show the shit of being a peasant because we got this really nice field in England. We're going to get a, a, a glimpse at what the Dark Ages looked like, probably, quote-unquote, probably on the street. And everything's fucking in mud, and there's a woman smashing a cat on the wall to dust her cat or whatever. And, and you know, that's a, that is a wonderful thing about Monty, Py- Monty Python's films is, is how much detail goes on in the background of these films. Uh, utterly packed. And then we get the Bring Out Your Dead sketch. And then that immediately transitions to the uh, peasants in a field gathering mud sketch and the anarcho-syndicalist commune um, where power is derived from the masses, not some watery bank handing out swords in pawns. And then we get, I believe it goes to Dark Knight and so on and so on and so on. Um, I might be wrong about the order of these or the dialogue of these and that's okay because I uh, I'm not going to devote that much space in my brain to Monty Python Uh, I've already devoted too much and it's fine Uh, this is more a note to to tomorrow's me than it is uh, to you Jordan don't edit this out because you can be wrong it's okay to be wrong sometimes and they keep doing this structure up to a point where eventually we start getting a whole lot of Terry Gilliam's animations and as soon as those kick in this really really becomes a transitionless film where we get oh here's a funny thing cartoon here's a funny thing cartoon here's a funny thing fourth wall breaking nonsense here's another funny thing here's another funny thing here's a cartoon here's a funny thing here's a cartoon and it shows you how a film is built in every other instance of watching a movie when i was growing up transitions where people would get on horses and ride places would distract me it would remove me gently from where I was and transport me to somewhere new where action could resume. And because they do it so fluidly and because the language of editing and transitions has been so well developed, I had no idea that I was being tricked or coerced or led on a journey that existed with scenes only with these little location by location nodes or in in a lot of instances say Hitchcock's rope comes to mind where it just happens in a single room and the only 
the only difference between scenes is who people are talking to and sort of the direction the camera is pointing. So this really did help me, I guess, begin to, because I was so young, understand the falsity and the construction of how films were made. And in such an impeccably Python way, the absurdity of everything, the absurdity of once you look into anything about which you are passionate or about which you take for granted, that is absolutely not proper grammar, and that's fine. How incredibly silly everything seems to be. If we take down our government, if we take down religion, if we strip apart human relationships and familial structures and the patriarchy and racism, and we take all these things apart and we strip them down to our most base levels, how hilarious and nonsensical all of it is, and it all seems so incredibly important, important in the moment, and everything seems so incredibly important when we look at the big picture, but as soon as we take it down and we break it up into scenes, it becomes a farce. It becomes a play that we've made and shown ourselves and tricked ourselves through good transitions into believing as truth. And that is where Monty Python probably ruined my life now that I think about it. <sighs> Fuck. That's what made me a fucking cynical prick. Yeah, that's definitely what made me a cynical prick. Oh, God. Yeah. Fuck. Um. Huh. I guess looking back on it, once you learn that the world is a farce, everything sort of becomes not worth it. And yet, everything sort of becomes worth it. It makes you angry when you're young to see everyone else falling into these traps of meaning and of whatever, a different word for meaning, uh, importance. And it, it makes you mad that they're all wasting their time and then they're not quote unquote as enlightened as you. You know, that gets you into the whole quagmire of mansplaining and makes current me wonder how widespread and how young mansplaining affects boys and uh, exactly what types of boys get, get most affected by the idea of wanting to mansplain. And, and for me, it was definitely bad. Uh, yeah, absolutely bad. It still is, isn't great to remind you and and break the fourth wall again this is a podcast that i do uh where i get drunk and i tell you what uh, is important about films now uh sober man created this and thought to himself you know what the world needs it needs drunk you to tell them what the fuck shit is about and so <sighs> This clamoring for meaning and for other people to finally recognize why everything is so fucking stupid and why they should all be as enlightened as me and, and be as grown up as me and be as important as me. 
I, I went down, I definitely went down that road of Python for far too long. But at the same time, there is so much magic in there. Mixed in with the world-wise and educated nuance of all of their humor, all of the jokes that contain various language and uh, what I now know is quite ubiquitous British culture, but at the time seemed like a nuanced take on the world as a uh, hyper-attentive view of everything that was going on made made me shitty, but it also made me carefree. It, it took away a lot of the worries that I had of fitting in and being cool and trying to be popular and, and getting a good job and studying hard, which yes, of course now, uh, underemployed me knows that that, uh, <laughs> that was greatly towards my detriment, but there is another part of me that really does appreciate learning how unimportant all of that is in the long run. Sure, it's hard to compete in a capitalist society with the disposition I have, but I've been uh, I've been very gifted in uh, in other ways, in ways that allow me to use my intelligence to become a bartender, or um, I'm sorry, not intelligence. I mean whiteness. Use my whiteness to become a bartender and serve people drinks and disarm them with the humor that I learned from Monty Python, or to do X, Y, and Z, or Z. I don't care which one, which one of you is listening. We'll find out by who makes the most stink of how I pronounce the letter Z in the comments. It's Z, by the way. What the fuck are you guys talking about? How could it possibly have a D noise in it? What other fucking letter has another letter in it? As far as I know, without reciting any of them in my head, none of the other letters have a fucking other letter in them. Um, and this was supposed to be about me being uh, humble after understanding that uh, something about man's planning and, and realizing the world was better. But it really got boggled down and uh, bogged down in something about... Um, and that's all it really needs to be about, isn't it? Is the drink. I could probably go on forever about why Monty Python is great, why I love them, why I ended up not killing myself because of their films, but I don't really need to, do I? This is a great movie. A lot of people think it's great. A lot of people don't. And that comes down to taste. Taste is what matters in life. And it's what matters in art. And as long as you can live by what your taste is, I imagine you'll die alright. And on that extremely uplifting note, go get some gin. Put some lime juice in there. You know what? Lemons, if you're really needing that vitamin C. Don't even bother with the ice cubes. Go ahead and put in a real tall glass and squirt, squirt some room temperature water in there. Make sure it's room temperature because otherwise you'll, you'll know that you're drinking. And uh, 
He really wanted to sneak up on you for this. Uh, and on that very sneaky note, did I say and on that note already? This is the second time. That'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, Jordan, you cad. Goodbye, Mr. Jones. Thank you again for everything. I will always miss you. I will always remember you. And while that doesn't matter, it matters to me. And to get it out of me and into somewhere else is important. Just like I think getting the stupid nonsense of your comedy out of you and into the world meant a great deal to you. So hopefully in that way we connect. And if we don't, that's fine. I'm I'm still alive, so you got an extra 15 years of me. Uh, hmm. This wasn't supposed to end with so much talk about suicide. Well, well. For all my listeners out there struggling with mental health issues, please talk to somebody you love. Talk to somebody you only sort of like. I know trust is a hard thing to give to people, but in my opinion, it's absolutely worth it. You never know what you can get. You might get a lifelong friend out of it. And how magical is that? If you don't, there's several numbers you can call for my U.S. listeners. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. For my U.K. listeners... You can call the Samaritans at 116123 or email joe at samaritans.org. You can call the Campaign Against Living Miserably at 0800-585858, 5 p.m. to midnight every day. You can call Papyrus for people under the age of 35 at 0800-068-4141, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., weekends 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., and bank holidays 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. And for those of you under the age of 19, please reach out to 0800-1111. Please consider reaching out because while the outcome of what you're planning is definite, the outcome of having second thoughts is yet to be written. And from first-hand experience, it can be quite incredible to find out what you might have missed So from one person who knows how bad it can be to another who thinks that they're alone and how bad it is right now. Sometimes life has things out there that that make all of this worth it. And sticking around to see how extraordinary that feels is, in this idiot's opinion, worth it every single time. Good night.